The following is a podcast from Ballin Entertainment. Hi, it's Craig Thompson, and this is the Stratford Slice. Today on the Stratford Slice, our very own Field of Dreams. Everyone thinks of Stratford as either a theater town or a hockey town, but in actual fact, it's also a baseball town. And someone who knows a lot about that is my friend and uh, someone I've known for a long, long time is Kevin Aitchison. Kevin, welcome to the Stratford Slice. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me today. Do you agree that Stratford is a hockey town or is it a baseball town or is it a bit of both? It's definitely a hockey town, but I think if we kind of try to trace the history back to the the old Crawlers and the CNR, that there's been some great baseball teams that have played in this town. And of course, down the road in St. Mary's, we have the Baseball Hall of Fame. So what's that connection to baseball history that gives us uh, the roots of baseball in this area? It's amazing. They, you know, the, the history goes back to um, you know a long time where everyone kind of claims that they've had the first baseball game played in their country, but in fact, it was... Uh, it was in Canada, in Ontario, of course. So every year it impresses me how many people they can get coming to their their uh, events, um, golf tournaments. They have their own induction ceremonies. It's quite a thing if anyone hasn't visited it. And everywhere back when we were growing up, every corner of every spare field, just like in Field of Dreams, you'd see a baseball field with a backstop, and it was a game that everybody would just pick up and play uh, after school or on weekends. It used to be, I lived on Douglas Street right near Avon School, and that was our, our pickup place. We'd play, uh, we'd play games at the, at the side where they had kind of a short fence, on, onto, short fence onto John Street, and once you got a little bit bigger, you'd go around the corner and you'd play pickup on uh, Charles Street. And the Intercounty Baseball League was really, really big in the 70s and 80s. Tell us how you got introduced to more of the competitive side of baseball versus the recreational. Well, Stratford had a really good product here in the, in the 70s and 80s, as you said. Um, I was born in 60, so I was eligible to play junior baseball in 77, 78. And they used to treat us real well where they'd take some of the better kids and, you know, just kind of introduct them to the senior baseball and, you know, let them play a little bit, let them run, let them hit every once in a while. And it was a great introduction to senior baseball. You were, you play every night. So, of course, you got better a whole lot quicker. Um, Dennis Schooley did an incredible job back in the day. Um, I'm sure he still would if there is a team here today. But we had such a good nucleus of uh, of talent in in Stratford, we could we could field a infield outfield. We always had to re, uh, rely on uh, bringing in pitchers from California or all over the place. But we had some nice connections as well for that. We had some big names, obviously going back to Howie Morenz in the hockey world and in the baseball world. We had Larry Landreth going to the Montreal Expos. Was he? A, tell us about him, and was he a bit of a, a, a mentor or someone to look up to for you? Well, he certainly uh, because he was a pitcher. Um, I'll say no, other than, you know, you're always proud of the Stratford people. And he did well. I never really got a chance to play with him until he came back from his professional career. And at that point, he didn't pitch a lot. He played position. He, he was a very good hitter as well. 
and I don't know that a lot of people knew that, that uh, he was an exceptional pitcher, but he was also a good hitter when he came back. Now, you're an outfielder, so tell me what happened to you after high school. You got uh, some notice. Tell us how that came about. Yeah, after um, high school, uh, Toronto was actively um, attending some games. Uh, I was taken to the, the old exhibition stadium. This is the Toronto Blue Jays. Toronto Blue Jays. And how many? Where was this in terms of their seat, their opening in Canada? How? What year did they start um, in Canada? I want to say seventy-seven. Was that? I I might be late seventies. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this is shortly so this after was, they yeah, expanded. Yeah, that's exactly right. This would have been seventy-nine that I was down for a tryout and. Um, batting practice. I was all jacked up. I hit about four or five out of the park and I was never a power hitter. So that, uh, and then we, we did some timed 40 yard dashes and then we did um, some outfield play where I got to fire some balls into third base just as they were getting their, their um, batting practice going. And then I was taken from there into the office and offered me a, a contract at that point, but I had already signed to attend uh, junior college in Arizona. So I, I passed on that first initial offer. So you turned down the Blue Jays to go to school. I did, <laughs> a two-year school, and I'm not sure that they're. I'm not sure what the difference would have been, but I think I really learned a lot in in uh, college. So what happened after you went to Arizona? You were still getting some attention. Tell us what you did in the field. Also, I want to know what you did academically there too. Um, business administration is what uh, what I uh, took at school. I had. I put two years in there. They they can't. The Canadians couldn't get drafted at the time in the uh, Major League Baseball draft. It, it that came along a little bit later, so they had to sign you as a free agent. So I had signed a letter of intent after uh, Arizona to go to um, University of Texas El Paso, um, but at my last game was a uh, Philadelphia Philly scout. And we went out to dinner. I was a little bit nervous, so my coach came with me, and he kind of acted as my agent. And um, so we left that night. He said, don't make any decisions. Let's just kind of see what he has to offer. So they offered me a bit of a signing bonus. And we knew that Toronto was always interested, and our coach, my coach knew that the California Angels were interested as well. So we kind of got in touch the next day with all three teams, and we kind of threw out a number, and Toronto was was able to kind of match the Phillies offer. So I decided just because I was a local kid, in hindsight, it was probably not the right thing to do because Toronto was so strong in the outfield. But signed with Toronto and uh, and uh, shortly thereafter ended up in the uh, Pioneer League in Medicine at. So why do you say if they were strong in the outfield, you couldn't make your mark well enough? Is that right? They just were the, they were young. And so Bell, Barfield and uh, Mosby, that was their outfield at kind of at the time so they just were so good for so long so every year they keep drafting players and once you know, they didn't need anybody they, they did not they needed like you know they had like Ron Shepard and Mitch right. Webster like a couple guys that uh, were kind of that could play in the big leagues but they were like that played that uh you know, role that would give them a day off or something, but they, they just were so good for so long. But had you gone with another decision that had a weaker outfield, do you think you might have got more of a opportunity? I, I think I would have. I, I, I always think that I would have. My, my only regret is I never got to play in AAA because I think once the, the pitching's, the pitching in, in rookie ball and single, everybody throws hard, but they have no, they have no idea where the strike zone is. 
pretty much. And they they've got like one or two good pitches. You know, as you get closer to you know double A, triple A, pitchers you know two or three good pitches, but they're a little bit more around the plate. And I was always a free swinger. I kind of got myself into trouble by always swing. You know, I, at everything. I needed to <laughs> yeah kind of define my strikes a little right. bit more. But I think I, that that's kind of where I wish I you know I, I'm not sure that. I said there, there's a difference between being good and being great. Yeah. And I needed to be great, but I was just good. So there's there's that fine line there that uh, – but still, it would have been fun to I, – I, uh, I did well for as long as I could, and then I knew it was time to get back to Stratford and do something find else. a job, yeah. Yeah. And you had a business administration background, but you decided to join the fire department. I, well, that was – yeah, I think I just kind of caught myself short of – like when all my friends were getting educated, you know, I, I kind of chose baseball as like that was five years of my life that I kind of lost where I should have been in school finishing up. So a, a two-year degree really wasn't going to get me much at that time. And I did work at Deagle Milk Hagee when I was home in the summers and, and things like that to keep my business, um, you know, keep my mind sharp. But, um, yeah, I was just looking for anything. I By the time I got home, I had uh, I was married and had had one child so I really had to uh, find something that kind of made me some money. And on the physical athleticism side the firefighting department would have been a good match because you were in pretty good shape I imagine. For sure for sure that that I applied for five years one I got home at 26 and I didn't get the job till I was over 30 so oh wow I they had hirings every year. I just wasn't able to kind of make the grade that all, all of a sudden I was. I, I worked at the arena so I think uh the fire chief, Sid Creek, could see me uh, in action there and knew I worked hard because he was on the call and executive at the time, and he always called those guys a, a lazy bunch of people, so I was always jumping in and helping them, so I think it may have paid dividends. Getting back to baseball, I want to get a, a, a sense. I'm a, a little bit of a, a purist. I wouldn't count myself as a huge baseball fan, but I love going down to see the Jays now and again. But when I watch it on television, it's become so analyzed and scientific you know uh, what i see on the other day watching uh, a game and everything is mapped out is uh, is it in the strike zone or is it not there's no guesswork ever involved it, it doesn't seem to be as fun to watch anymore no i've i've posted on social media that like please get rid of that box around the strike zone i think that's what makes that's what makes pitchers the, the whole game should be learning what an umpire strike zone is for a pitcher, right? Like they, they've, they've had the same umpires year after year after year. And, and hitters need to know what the umpire strike zone are as well. It's the personality of the umpire That's right. and, and the we, personality of the pitcher. We had that, we had that in the inner county. We had you know, Jim Cressman from London. Like, he's, yeah. like everyone has their own personality, exactly what you said. So, yeah, it's really taken you know, the whole money ball aspect of the game. It's, it's really changed it. But – it's uh, that's that's what you need to succeed anymore. That's that's the way of the world. So it's AI behind the plate, artificial intelligence. You don't need a human umpire anymore if you've no. got the well, TV. I, I'm fearful that that day is going to come. I think yeah. they're trying it, and I think they had the first manager get kicked out of minor league baseball in the league where they've tried the uh, artificial umpire behind the plate. How do you argue with the artificial umpire? <laughs> he was, I don't know. There was a little glitch in the system there, and he was. Uh, I think the balls and strikes were all over the place, but. So what do you make of the Jays now and, and the baseball 
uh, competitive uh, baseball now. Who do you follow, and what do you uh, what do you see? The Jays are doing uh, fairly well. Yeah, it's surprised that the. Um, I always thought that there was too much fooling around going on in the dugout. Like I don't watch a lot of baseball either, but when I do watch the games, I know it's, it's there's one thing to have fun, but you're a paid professional, and there's got to be a point where fun is not you know, childish. So every team kind of has their own antics when someone hits a home run, whether it's a shopping cart through the dugout or throwing sunflower seeds. And even the celebrations after the game you used to kind of win with integrity before. Now it's like in the face of the other team, which I just don't, I don't understand why the game's kind of gone that way or how it's been allowed to. Sort of poor sportsman-like? Yeah. Well, it's tough to argue. Yeah. Like that's, in my mind, that's what it is, but... Yeah. Well, I think part of the reason is that we're used to hockey where it's so fast-paced that you're on the bench for five minutes or three minutes, whereas in baseball you're sitting around in the dugout waiting and there's so much, you're, you're bored, you need to Look, come up with some sort of entertainment. Looking for something to be excited about, for sure. Yeah, I, I don't, uh, I love, I love hockey. I don't, uh, I don't watch a lot of baseball, but playoff, I'm a playoff baseball fan for sure. And do you go down to see any of the uh, uh, professional sports uh, games, either the Raptors or the Leafs or the, the Jays, or mostly on television? Mostly on television. I'll, I'll travel, we have, we have a place near Sarnia, so I'll travel to uh, Detroit to watch football. I'll go to Detroit to watch a baseball game. I think now I've got three grandsons, so I think that that's going to change at some point soon, that I'll be making the trek to Toronto just because it is so close. Uh, Kevin, when we're recording this, we have a bit of a scandal in the hockey world. You know, we both grew up in uh, hockey uh, growing up in small-town Ontario. Everybody played in the backyard rinks, played in small house leagues. But we've uh, a lot of things come out recently about this culture of hockey. Have you been following any of that and Hockey Canada and the junior teams and the attitudes that are uh, coming out of the dressing rooms? Um, I have been, and it just it it's uh, it's it's very surprising that it's caught a lot of people off guard. And anytime the government gets involved, you know that there's uh, there's some real big concerns. Um, I don't follow it enough to know. I just I've kind of followed the um, is it Rick Westhead he from is, TSN. Yeah, he has yeah. done an exceptional job of kind of um, keeping everybody informed as to kind of what's transpired um, through the hockey world over the last year or so, and it's it's just it's it's awful. Like we, our, our children went to played. Uh, my daughter played in. Uh, uh, university in the States, Union College. Um, son played in the OHL. So I know that there's always been scandals, but you just trust that the people in power are are constantly doing the right things. But there's been, you know, whether it's the, been the gymnastic scandal, like it's just there's there's a lot of people have let a lot of people down. It's all coming out of the woodwork. Did you have any experiences when you were in baseball or hockey that might be questionable today how was how are you treated not not I can't even think of one instance when uh, when I would have said that I think I think we had pretty thick skin like we took a lot of abuse in the minor leagues but you know a lot of it was well deserved and you know I had a good coach that if you were in a bit of a slump you'd say go get drunk tonight like just 
like enjoy do, yourself. Do something yeah. different, right? Like you're putting way too much pressure on yourself. But there wasn't there wasn't one instance that uh, I could say that there was any like I had no question in my mind that I was treated very well. You're listening to the Stratford Slice with Craig Thompson. Check out our website, thestratfordslice.com, and be sure to subscribe. And now back to the show. Everything's about money today, big money for players. Tell me about what the money was like in the minor leagues and how uh, you were signed with the Jays. Uh, it was a big honor, but was there much money involved? It was, apart from the signing bonuses, you know, there was different, um, certainly levels of that. Uh, everyone my first year in rookie ball got $700 a month. So you you were at home for half the month and on the road the other half. So you got a stipend of $10 a day meal money when you're on the road. So if it was a, you know, seven day road trip, you get 70 extra dollars to spend. So you, you pretty much have to pick two meals that you want to eat during the day. But it was, uh, yeah, it wasn't, certainly wasn't lucrative. And I think it was my second year, it was like eight twenty a month. And it was the third year I was married. I think it was up to about 1140. And then my last year was like 1420, I think I was making. So that was, that was a decent wage. Um, Back we then, still yeah. had to get, find an apartment, find, find furniture, you know, food. I know Joan would be calling my parents or her parents to come down to visit just so we could get some groceries <laughs> in the, uh, in the fridge when, when we went away on a road trip, but it was fun. I, I wouldn't trade that for anything. So many, so many incredible memories. And we had some pretty quality players as well. We were talking with Rick uh, prior about, uh, our double-A team, you know, Fred McGriff and Cecil Fielder, Jimmy Key, John Cerruti, David Wells. And they all went on to they the majors. They all had incredible careers. I, I was a roommate of um, uh, Cerruti for a year in uh, in um, Kinston, North Carolina. So that was fun. Like, we just, we had, like, great memories throughout the whole, my whole career. And how do you keep in touch with those guys? Um... That's pretty much it. We I had a friend in California that uh, we still we met each other at the um, Hall of Fame. We did a Cooperstown, uh, Boston, New York trip when he turned forty. So that was about fifteen years ago. And then we we both attended Sarudi's funeral uh, when he passed, probably fifteen years ago. Yeah, that's the last I've really seen of uh, of anybody I played with. Let's talk about your firefighting career because people think uh, in a small town it's not a lot of action, but anybody who lives here, you see the trucks all the time. What was, when you first started with the fire department, how much of a shock was it uh, that that perception uh, is a myth? When I, yeah, it's interesting. When I first started with the fire department, you didn't need uh, schooling to, uh, like there was nothing that you needed as a prerequisite. So as soon as you were hired, you were sent to Gravenhurst for eight weeks, and they taught you everything you needed to know <laughs> in Gravenhurst, and then you come back and get on the truck. So that's kind of a shock in itself, because you're fighting Gravenhurst, you're fighting fires every day in their little mock training area. So when you get back, you're all kind of amped up that you're going to you know, see fire, fire, fire. But in reality, um, a lot of medicals, it's a very aged community a lot of old age homes so uh that was i think my biggest uh, aha moment was that we're like it's a whole lot of medical stuff that we're dealing with and that didn't even start until 
probably seven or eight years after I started, where we started responding to medical. Supporting the paramedics, yeah. yeah. But we're very, um, Stratford has a minimum. Now, I think things have changed within the last year. I think the minimum manning's gone up, but our minimum manning was six. So you'd have, you'd have. Per four, call. Six per shift. Per shift, okay. So you'd have four guys at the station on Huron, or on Erie Street and two guys on McCarthy. So if you ever had a fire on the north end, you're in a whole lot of trouble because you got one guy that's supposed to be in charge and one guy that's supposed to run the pump. So there's water to the fire. So you were, you know, there's been times where there were snowstorms where you had trouble getting from Erie Street out to the north end. So it's really, it, it was always really concerning that, you know, you're just waiting for something to happen. And, and the what if kind of happened in St. Thomas where they lost a firefighter, the Dennis Redmond. And that kind of sent shockwaves through the, the towns that were, you know, like of that Thomas's size, of size, that size, Woodstock, yeah, yeah. Stratford, St. Thomas. So they kind of, you know, we always try to get four people. Like in Toronto, if there's a fire, there's automatically 23 people that show up. You know, Stratford, there's maybe six. So, and then you just, the mentality is you put a pack on and you go in and try to put it out and your bottle runs out and you come outside and then you're supposed to, for every, for every time you breathe down a bottle, you're supposed to rest outside for 15 or 20 minutes. But the, the reality is you just put another pack on and change your bottle and go back in. So it's, it's a Toronto. It's, it's, it's funny that Toronto, you, you, you learn one thing and you learn it good. Like you're, this is your seat on this truck and this is what you do. Stratford, you're driving a truck at the north end one day and the next day you could be on the back of the truck and the rescue unit um, responding to medical. So you really have to be, your, your knowledge really needs to be, um, you really have to stay on top of everything, which there's certain standards throughout the province now. There's the, um, the um, level one and level two that you need now to even apply. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the game has changed a lot it's everything's burning hotter the building construction's a whole lot different so yeah you know they, they don't want to send people on the roof anymore because the trusses will burn through like there's there's certain things that you're not supposed to do but yeah we just don't have Stratford doesn't have enough men on the trucks to to do that initial fire attack what's the worst thing you remember as being a small town firefighter can you recall something that sticks out in your mind yeah, everything's kind of, you're always, you're always showing up at everyone's worst moment. But I always think that it's the um, people that, that choose death that kind of strike a chord with, with me. That's kind of what's stuck with me. There's, there's been fires. You know, we've had some, you know, some good saves, you know, where we've been able to pull people out. There's been some, some calls where you've been able to defibrillate someone back to life. We had a 39-year-old female with three kids in her yard that uh, we brought back I'm gonna say seven or eight years ago it was a perfect storm we had four guys in the truck that day so everyone kind of had a job someone took care of the family so there, there's been great stories but it's always always fine that the unanswered questions of the people that have kind of chosen death in other words going by back suicide. in oh, by suicide yeah, yeah yeah and that that's that's there's you know there's always there's lots that goes on in town that uh, I think that the police if you interviewed a policeman he'd tell you the same thing that there's so much that goes on in Stratford that a lot of people don't know about or hear. 
But yeah, that, that's always something because it's it's kind of unanswered. You see the families kind of at their rawest moment. It's almost like it's um, they don't believe that that this is happening to them, and so they're yeah, it's, in crisis it's, mode. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's it's been uh, that's the kind of the most difficult difficulty I've had with. Um, the job. These days, Kevin, anybody who works in the fire department automatically gets PS, uh, P- PTSD uh, training. Was there anything like that at the beginning? How did you manage to deal with the trauma you saw and the stress? Um, I think you, it was just, I think, the, um, just the camaraderie at work. I think we were able to kind of, you know, whether you call it sick humor or... Talk it out, you mean? That's right. They'd always kind of, we we kind of evolved into um, any time after a big call that we'd come back and kind of do a debrief. So that was the biggest change. I was kind of involved in health and safety early on. So I kind of, you know, they, they talked about that. That was the PTSD thing was just kind of taken off um, back when I would have started. So I think that that was probably the biggest thing is the, is the leadership would uh, not force you to, but um, the captain it was up to the captain to sit down and, you know, make sure everyone is doing well. And then it, everyone kind of looked out for everyone else. If you could, if you saw somebody that wasn't doing so well, you'd you know, take them aside and have a chat with them. But I think it was kind of handled very well in-house. What about women in the fire hall? They would have started coming in a bit more as you were mid-career. Like, tell me about the gender uh, parity in the fire department in a small town like Stratford. It was um, basically just... Uh, dispatcher slash secretaries um, that were the, the females in the fire department so never never was a problem never was a concern they they um, they were great at what they did and they were respected for it now the, the year that I retired they hired their first female um, on the truck on yeah. the truck yeah um, out of she was out of Kitchener and um, she's done an incredible job. I've kind of stayed in touch with her a little bit. Uh, I've seen her through uh, another fella at the, uh, just retired from the fire department, so I was at his uh, retirement gig there and got a chance to catch up with her. But she's done, she is she has um, set the bar high for the next female to come along because she's done an exceptional job. Fire departments are also called out uh, for motor vehicle uh, incidents. Outside of Stratford or just in Stratford mostly? It um, used to be just we never went outside the city limits, but we've kind of worked away at the, um, the uh, management to allow us to uh, kind of migrate a couple uh, concessions outside the city. Uh, it just makes sense to me that um, if we can get there and help and get things set up, the same with a fire. If there's um, a fire outside the city, I think the museum's a perfect example that... Uh, that's actually not Stratford's uh, territory where Searingville would, would come in, but Stratford will go out there and they'll start um, fighting the fire and then uh, they'll drop their lines and Searingville will come in and take over. How has being a, a firefighter given you a better perspective on your own sort of recommendations for safety? Let's talk about driving first, highway. It is, it's it's almost, you, you know, that'd be a great question to ask my wife because she's, I'm like safety Steve in her eyes. I just everything's just over the top because you've you've seen and witnessed the worst of everything. So I yeah, speeding, seat belts, like everything's to the nth degree. Like there's no you know, when you come to corners, like I have a motorcycle as well and that's kinda taught me a lot about driving 
defensively and yeah so everything candles i i walk around the house blowing out candles <laughs> i'm like the worst birthday party person ever um, you're the first one to blow out oh the candles my goodness it's yeah um yeah stove i you know every time i leave the house i check the stove i check fire you're a little paranoid then. oh my goodness it's it's all it's actually awful but yeah i try to send the message to everybody and they i'm sure they're sick of me uh trying to send that message so what's the one thing you think people should know about uh, firefighting or the fire department in a small town that they may may not appreciate, do you think? Um, I, that's a great question. I think it's, it's the, um, like the, the whole, like the fire department, the fire department lately been kind of set up with, um, you know, there's a couple tiers. There's the fire suppression, and then um, the um, fire inspection, and then the you know getting into the um, um, schools as well. So the education. So that's kind of a three-tiered thing. I think the when when um, the firefighters are walking through the town doing their annual fire inspection and want to get in and see your basement and stuff it's it's for your own best interest they're trying to avoid and i think stratford's really shown that they have a very aggressive fire inspection program even a home fire safety program where they get out into the community after hours um, during the summer where they'll go into individual homes and check to, for a working smoke alarm so i think the the message is is that like we we're trying not to like hide inside the fire department and wait to get called out. We're trying to be proactive in the community and and kind of make make sure things are safe. Like if we if we've got an opportunity to walk through your building downtown, it's certainly going to pay dividends if there's ever a fire in there and we can't see and we have to go through there. We're going to kind of have a bit of an idea of of what we're getting ourselves into. But I, I so I guess the answer to your question is just we're we're kind of more than what would meet the eye. And when you look back on your own baseball career and your contribution to Stratford, are you, you glad you followed the, the path you did? I, I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't change a thing. No, I was, I was very fortunate to uh, be able to have that opportunity to kind of get out of Stratford. Um, Stratford such, got a, such a strong draw to bring people back, so I was happy when I was done to come back here and just continue on. Well, I've known a little bit about your story, but it's great to have the full picture uh, with you here today. So, Kevin Aitchison, thanks very much. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. You've been listening to The Stratford Slice with Craig Thompson. For more episodes, check out our website, thestratfordslice.com, and be sure to subscribe. The Stratford Slice is produced by Ballinran Entertainment. Southwestern Ontario's number one digital media studio. If you have a great story to tell and want to be on the podcast, please reach out to us through our website, thestratfordslice.com. <laughs>